Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Well, hello and welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark, and also known as Just Another Wretch. <laughs> <laughs> we are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity. We welcome you into that conversation. We are going to pick up where we left off at the last episode, um, talking about where does our hope lie today? What is the rest of the story? I wanted to draw your attention to the show notes once again. We have a link on there called uh, RestoredGospel.com or The Final Prophecy. You can click on that link, and Corey has put up just a great uh, wealth of information of topics of God's plan for mankind from the beginning all the way through the end. And you can click on these topics and then they open up into more specific topics. And then the great thing is there's scripture references in there that you can read. And you know what? You don't even have to pick up your book and turn to the page because you can hover over that scripture or click on it and that scripture will pop right up. And if that's not enough, you can click on it again and it'll bring it up in context on the internet with the rest of the surrounding scriptures. So it is a great resource a great tool, and it's called the final prophecy. And, and this prophecy is just about what is God's work with mankind. Now, last time, Corey and I, I think where my heart was at in our last episode was just how do we shift our focus and give hope to this generation, to to the older generation, to the young people coming up? How do we shift our focus without causing hurt feelings or without negating the great history that we have in the restoration because a miracles took place less than 200 years ago, Corey. That's what's hard to believe is like 1830 in the grand scheme of the history of the world was not a long time ago. I mean, it was less than 200 years ago. This great miracle took place. Christ himself appeared again on the earth. He brought forth a record of people and that record is to do what? To convince the, as the title page says, Really, the world, because it says Jews, the Gentiles, the Lamanites. When you look at it that way, that covers everybody. But to convince them of what? <clears throat> that Jesus is the eternal God. And that is, what is amazing about that is, Corey, is some things that, you know, you've been looking at in this past couple of weeks. God is doing that, and people are coming to that. And we are going to examine some of that, of how God is doing his work. So there is hope. Um we can look at the bigger picture or the rest of the story or why the Book of Mormon was a, was brought forth, why the restoration. Corey, you said something. We were taught maybe that the restoration came because um, because the church uh, needed to be – how did you word it? Well – This is just uh, one view, but – Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not try to name names, but there's a – a certain uh, teaching curriculum that was kind of popular in the missionary circles and even teaching our own uh, members of why the church was restored. And again, trying to separate oral tradition from actual scripture, the, the traditional story we tell is that, well, you know, God set up the church in Jesus' day. It went out to the Gentiles and the Jews and the apostles died off, and some few hundred years later, the church was kind of in apostasy and out of existence. And so <clears throat> then later, God decides to restore the church, and, and he does it through Joseph Smith, and the Book of Mormon comes forth. 
um, because the church had died out. Well, that's that's how we tell it, and we use a couple of scriptures to to try to justify or, or kind of bolster that story. Um, and and in a sense, that's true. But there's there's a part that's missed, and and the the part that's missed may be the actual real reason. And I, I just want to share this. I know a couple episodes ago we were looking at third ne- or first Nephi, the first book of Nephi, chapter three, in the RLDS version. And it's it's Nephi's vision, which again we've mentioned has kind of a, a salvation element to it, and it has a prophecy element to it. And in Nephi's vision, and I'm just going to paraphrase. If you if you were going to look in the scriptures, it starts it in the RLDS version about um, uh, verse 160 and onward. So First Nephi chapter three, verse 160 and onward. But what's explained there is a little different than how we've told the story, and and. It's it's comes back to this word Gentiles. In Nephi's writings, Nephi sees the people who are direct lineage descendants, you know, blood descendants of the people who are living in Jerusalem, so Jews and the house of Joseph and other people. He was a descendant of Joseph's tribe through Manasseh. In this um 30,000-foot view he gives of history, he sees when the gospel, and, and again, this is all things that are going to happen after his day because he's seen these things 600 years before Jesus, but he sees when the word goes forth from Jesus to his apostles and the apostles go to the world, he sees the word go forth in purity. So at that point in time, people who are hearing the gospel, people who are of the house of Israel or Gentiles, were getting the full story. And we can see and say that in time it didn't take long and, and, and the gospel story maybe wasn't told correctly. And people can say, well, the church died out. Well, here's the difference. What Nephi goes on to say isn't that, well, it's just because God needed to start the church again. It's something different. There's a scripture, and we hear this phrase, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. We hear that, but very few people sometimes, if you ask, well, and so what does that actually mean? Most people just scratch their head. Well, I don't know. Well, it it means some things on different levels prophetically, but one of them is simply this. It means that the gospel came to the house of Israel first, the the Jews, they had their uh, prophets and they had Jesus come to them. And then after Jesus' crucifixion, it went to the Gentiles, which were the people who weren't of the house of Israel. And that was a shocker to the Jews. They couldn't believe if you weren't circumcised and born of a seed of Abraham that you couldn't, could have salvation. Well, God was merciful to the Gentiles. But this first shall be last, so the Jews were first, the Gentiles were second, and the last shall be first. That was a prophetic telling of how the gospel would come back to the Gentiles, and that was us. That was the people in our nation. Now, we can say, well, I've been told I'm a spiritual descendant of Ephraim or whatever. Yeah, that's all true. But in Nephi's view of this, he sees the gospel come back to the nation of the Gentiles, and that's the point. The gospel went to the Gentiles in Jesus' day, and then prophetically, it was going to come back 
to the Gentiles in the last days, but come to them first. And then the people who had received it first, who were the house of Israel, it goes to them last. So the gospel came from the house of Israel to the Gentiles in Jesus' day, and then in the last days, it comes back to the Gentiles to go to the house of Israel. So first point is when we just say, well, God had to restore the church, and we're it, and now we're going to have Zion, we're missing a big part of this story. The story is that, no, it wasn't that he just restored it to us. He brought back the word in purity because plain and precious truths had been removed. And this is what Nephi explains how that process happens in this great and abominable church. The reason we say the church was restored wasn't just simply because it died out and God had to do something again. The real reason that Nephi explains is because God wanted and did show the same mercy on the Gentiles as he did with the house of Israel in giving them the pure word. Remember, in, in the book, uh, in, in Third Nephi, I'm going to read from verse 166. These things go forth from the Jews in purity to the Gentiles according to the truth which is in God. That word purity, in that day it went forth in purity and then it got lost. Well, lo and behold, Nephi sees that in the last days his people's writings that would be buried in the ground and not even come to his own seed would come not directly back to the Lamanites, but they would come to the Gentiles. And that's our people. That's that's Joseph Smith's work. That's that's us as a nation. Um, so, so that we could know how to come to Christ in purity. That's why the Book of Mormon came forth. So we could have the same access to the understanding without any of the uh, adulteration or anything else that happened to, to the word, plain and precious truth that were taken out. He wanted the Gentiles to have as clean and pure of understanding of who who God is, how he took on flesh and came down among us, and how we come to him with a broken heart and contrite spirit. These are the messages of the Book of Mormon. These are the pure and precious truths that were muddied up along the way. So, so that's the bigger reason, and hopefully that is enough of an explanation where people see it. it wasn't just that, oh, well, the church died out, so plan B, let's start it up again. It was different than that. The plan all along was that the gospel would go to the house of Israel and they would get the pure message. They crucified Jesus, unfortunately, in that process of receiving it. But then it would come back in its pure form to the Gentiles to return to the house of Israel someday. Without trying to be cute and play on words, I think it is important to bring about, just to draw our minds to the fact that when we use the word gospel as opposed to church, I do think it changes, at least in me, it changes the thought process. Because we, we think about God restoring his church in yes. 1830. Yes. And, and so then we think of, and we've even we've even done a good job of, uh, you know, we've got a picture of the church and we've used it to show all of the gifts of the spirit and the, um, the offices of priesthood and all of that. And that's not wrong. That's not bad. But that helps us focus on the church. So when we think about God restoring his church, but I like how you just explained another way to look at it is that God is bringing back his gospel to go forth in purity and plainness. Right. And so that's the, it's not an organization, but it is a, um, it's, it's his word. It's a purpose. It's, it's a- his purpose. It's his work. It's his glory. It's his word. And it is to go forth. It is to go out to the, back to the, to the house of Israel 
And it is going to finish its work because of the covenants he made long ago with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and uh, the house of Israel and the tribe of Joseph. Because of all of that, God's work is going to continue through them and the whole world is going to be blessed. And what we mean by that is Christ is going to return and dwell among us. And there's going to be a righteous place, and we call it Zion. It's going to be the kingdom on the earth. It's going to be his laws, his rules, and every heart is going to love one another as he has loved us. And that's going to be the state of humans. And if you can't do that, then you're going to have to be transformed somewhere else until you can do that or until you become a son of perdition. We've 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 talked about all of this. So I, I think— wanted, I wanted to add something to that because— this is, it's so important what you're saying, Mike, is, is this idea that it's not about the church being restored, but the gospel being restored. This is exactly what Nephi is sharing. He sees, and I'm going to read this from the restored covenant version of the Book of Mormon, but in verse 183 of the same chapter, after the Gentiles do stumble exceedingly because of the most plain and precious parts of the gospel, which has been kept back by the abominable church, I will be merciful unto the Gentiles in that day, insomuch that I will bring forth unto them in my own power much of my gospel, which shall be plain and precious, saith Lamb. So his purpose in this, he says, hey, and I'm going to just restart my church. He didn't say that. He said it differently, like you mentioned. He says, no, I'm going to bring back my gospel, which will be plain and precious. And this goes right back to the title page, which we shared in the previous episode and today. And why was that? He says this, so that the Gentiles will be convinced, in verse 191, it will come to the Gentiles, this, our nation, and, and, and the Gentiles who weren't specifically the Jews or the house of Israel. No, it's going to come to the other people who were thought of as, as a second class to, to Israel in the day. Verse 191 says, It'll come by the power of the Lamb from the Gentiles back to the remnant of the seed of his brethren, but unto the convincing of the Gentiles um, that the original records of the 12 apostles were true. Now notice this. In verse 193, it states exactly what the title page is, and this is from the Restored Covenant, and it might read a little different if you have a, a different version. And it shall make known to all kindreds, tongues, and people that the Lamb of God is, in, in the RLDS version, it says, the Son of the Eternal Father. In the Restored Covenant version, it says that the Lamb of God is the Eternal Father and the Savior of the world, and that all men must come unto him or they cannot be saved. You see, his, his purpose in restoring the gospel to the Gentiles, is so we could know that fact specifically, so it could make known to all kindreds, tongues, people, so that the Gentiles could hold forth this standard, this flag, and to the world and say, no, here's truth. This is, this is what happened. This is the sacrifice. And so that we could make it known to the world who Jesus was and that all must come to him or they can't be saved. That's why we say the church was restored. I don't even know that that's that's the right way to put it. That's why the gospel came to the Gentiles, us. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't supposed to end there, and that's where we've gotten off on the wrong foot in telling the story because the rest of the story is very profound and it's exciting. 
you've looked into some of the rest of the story or or you've seen some very exciting things in this past week and i and i want you to share those today i'm not quite sure what the best way to go about doing that do you want to start with a, a clip of an actual jew who has uh, shared his testimony of seeing the christ or what what would you like to start we can work that in if yeah. you want to work it in at yeah. any point in time wherever you want to do tell you what um if you want to insert that and then we can talk about it later uh what what i wanted to do was mention again the fact that what you pointed out earlier is that zion begins as the beginning of a great work commences it commences um and what the scriptures use it's the term is called the second time now it's just two words but there's also a, a phrase called the times of the Gentiles. We, we're going to kind of talk about both of these things. The, the time of the Gentiles is ultimately exactly what we said. When the gospel was sort of um, under the dominion, if you use that phrase, of the Gentiles. In other words, the, the time of Israel was kind of when they had the prophets and they had the testimony and Jesus was among them. Well, their time ended in a, in a sense in that they crucify the very Messiah, the very savior that ended that covenant. That's why there's the old Testament and new Testament. The word Testament means covenant, the old covenant, new covenant that ended with Israel in that sense. And the gospel comes back to comes to the Gentiles in Jesus day. It gets muddied up, but it returns in its purity to the Gentiles in the last days. Well, so the, prophecy, and this is one of the parts of the story or the bullet points that we, I think, either didn't understand or just failed to mention, is that the scriptures have said from the beginning that the time of the Gentiles ends. And at that point in time, the gospel goes back to the house of Israel. And so, Mike, the big drum roll, do you know what the signpost is for when the time of the Gentiles ends? It's actually in our in our scriptures. It's in our Book of Mormon. It's defined. Well, let you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, here if people At the risk of being <laughs> completely wrong. <laughs> no, yeah, but and I know. Oh, I'll, I'll go ahead. No, well, so and and the profound thing is Jesus is the very one who spoke about this. You know, <clears throat> I, I, before I, I read the scripture, I I just want to say that. Our, our view has to become scriptural in this, and we can't take this personally um, or we can't be confused by this because it's been the plan all along. We've told, told this uh, somewhat false narrative that somehow, well, the church got restored and then we just build Zion and that's the end. The scriptures have said something different. They've said more. They said the church would get established among the Gentiles, but then the Gentiles would do something kind of crazy and that's told in the third book of Nephi in the RLDS version, chapter seven. And I'm gonna I'm gonna turn to that so we can kind of read a few of these verses together. Um, if you if you want to turn to around verse thirty or so to, to preface this, Jesus is speaking to the Nephites who he has appeared to, uh, he's he's shared with, he's told how uh, you know he is the Messiah, um, and then the people are wondering about something because this law of Moses they had been living under, uh, he says, hey, you don't have to do this anymore. And he explains how that ended 
with him on dying on the cross. But then he goes on to explain this, and he said, but the prophets and the words to the prophets have not ended. And he said, let me explain how some of this is going to happen. He said, you people are going to receive the gospel from the Gentiles, your descendants. He's speaking to Nephites 2,000 years ago, and, and he doesn't give them every single detail, but he tells them, well, at least it's not written here. I'm sure he explained because it says we only have a hundredth of what he said. This part that he explained, though, we have to realize was important information he wanted us to know because it's come to us. He says that the gospel is going to come back to this remnant of Joseph's people, the Nephites, by way of the Gentiles. But he said, this is how you know it's going to happen. He said, the gospel will be rejected by the Gentiles. That's the signpost. And and, and I'm going to read a couple of the scriptures here. Now, now you're probably thinking, well, well, who are the Gentiles? And I haven't rejected the gospel. And it's like, no, you, we haven't. But there's a there's a difference when we're talking judgment. A judgment is, okay, when there's like a blanket decision made over a, a group of people, you know, judgment on the Gentiles, judgment. Well, as a nation, as the world, um, and even in as a church, in many ways, the gospel has been rejected or it's been replaced by our own thoughts. Jesus said this. He said to these Nephites, he's explaining things that are literally happening in our day right now. And, and at verse uh, um, 2930, starting at third Nephi 7, verse 30, Blessed are the Gentiles because of their belief in me and of the Holy Ghost, which witnesses unto them of me and of the Father. Nephi sees the Holy Ghost poured out not just on the church, the restored church, but upon the nation of the Gentiles, this nation here. By the Holy Ghost, they would have their power, whether they acknowledged it or not. So he's saying, hey, the Gentiles, there's going to be some who believe in me. And he says in verse 31, because of their belief in me and because of the unbelief of you, O house of Israel, in the latter day shall the truth come unto the Gentiles that the fullness of these things shall be made known unto them. So he's saying, because the Gentiles believed in me, I did a cool thing. I brought the gospel, the fullness. That's where it uses that word fullness. So that's what we believe started with Joseph Smith, but it didn't end there. I mean, and I say started with Joseph Smith. I mean, the 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 revelation of the Nephite record to the Gentiles, okay, through through Joseph Smith, right? So he's 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 laying this out. He said, the Gentiles are going to believe. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to bring the fullness to these people. So that they can know back what third or first Nephi three says that Jesus is the eternal God, but then verse thirty two, but woe to the unbelieving of the Gentiles. So he he's talking about the believing Gentiles in the first scripture. Now he's talking about the unbelieving. He said, "You guys have scattered my people. You've scattered the Lamanites, the Jews, whatever. You've trodden them under your feet." But and then in verse thirty three, he says because of the mercies of the Father of the, on the Gentiles and also the judgments of the Father on my people, he said, after I've allowed you guys to be to smite my people, to afflict them, he's, he's speaking to the Gentiles, how we've treated the, the, the Indians, for instance, and how we've treated the Jews, and I'm not saying personally, but just as, as, a, as a people over time, you've cast them out, you've hated them, they've become a hiss and a byword. He says, thus, and this is verse 34, thus commandeth 
the Father that I should say unto you. So this is a commandment from God. Jesus is explaining, at that day when the Gentiles, that's our people, our, our country, our nation, our, our, and not just of our nation but of the world, when the Gentiles shall sin against my gospel and reject the fullness of it. Now, that's interesting because it uses the word sin and reject. Well, reject, you can just say, I don't want any part of it. But when you sin against something, Scripture defines that sin as, as a willful transgression. So I think the word sin and reject describe two groups of people. Reject are the people who said, no, that can't be true. But sin are the people who maybe even had it, right? And don't, yeah, it could be. And, 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 and don't do the right thing with it or even just have it and then they reject or, it. Yeah, or depending on how much truth you do have, look at our nation today and we are rejecting even God's most basic plan for our bodies. Exactly. For our, for our creation, for our um, for Mockery. relationships. Everything. For, um, there's no gender. There's no marriage. There's no, I mean, we're just, we're just becoming a sinful. It's like, it's like, Europe or Eastern Europe, uh, what's happened there? Godless. Britain, yes. And then they're in the post kind of post religious. Well, that's just, we're going to be in the same place where religion and Christianity just fade away. And, and, so. and you know, one of the powerful scriptures, which is, is worth mentioning at this time is the whole reason this nation came forth is explained in the same book, third Nephi, but it's chapter nine. I think it's around verse uh, one eighty nine. I've had my finger on yeah, the scripture read, for the last. Read it, read it, Mike. Yeah, and we'll come back to third Nephi seven. So yeah, it says, uh, "Verily I say unto you, when these things shall be made known unto them of the Father, and shall come forth of the Father from them, to them is the Gentiles, us, mm-hmm, right, unto you, the house of Joseph." For it is the wisdom in the Father that they should be established in this land and be set up as a free people by the power of the Father, that these things might come forth from them unto a remnant of your seed. So the Lord established the Gentiles and this nation as a free nation, not so that we can just have our own laws. Right, America, the homeland of the free, home of the brave, all of that had a great purpose, maybe even a greater purpose than we understood. And it wasn't just to be free from religious tyranny. It was so that the words could go back to the house of Israel and come forth. I know what a huge responsibility buried right here in New York in the, in the heart of, of America and, and to go forth back to the house of Israel. And that's why we were established in this land and set up as a free people. And I just really struck on that within the last couple of years, but look at our nation, Corey, since the 1800s. I mean, where I mean, you want to talk about a young country. I mean, you can go to Europe and look at churches and things that are so old, but the oldest buildings here on this on this country, you know, are just less than you know a couple hundred years old or whatever, a few hundred years old. We are a young nation, and look where we have come. And 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 since the, these words have come forth, amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And you know that word cradle. I think we've discussed before that that this nation was literally the cradle designed by God to be the cradle from which the pure gospel could return to the world. I mean, that was the intent, that was the original intent, you know? And it's like, wow, you know, we weren't told that in history either. We're we're told to kind of think, hey, God did a great work among these founders, the founding fathers and everyone like that. Yeah, and it was all inspired for those great purposes. But there was this underlying reason from the beginning. I mean, can you imagine, Mike, could 
could the gospel have come forth in in communist China, you know, North right. Korea, you know, today? Could it have been born there? No, it would have been squelched. The the freest nation on earth uh, was where God said, "All right, I'm going to set you guys up so this gospel can abound, where people can talk about it in their homes or their synagogues with without threat of persecution." But but unfortunately, what we did with it is we got it, and those people who found it said, "Oh, well, that means we're special." You know, and it's like, that's not really what the scriptures said. And it wasn't that mm-hmm. he just gave us his church and that was it. The The point comes back to what he said all along. It's so that it could be a blessing to the Gentiles and Israel to restore them. And so in third Nephi uh, chapter seven, verse 34, Jesus gets this commandment to share. He says, at that day, when the Gentiles, uh, the people who receive this gospel, sin against it, reject the fullness, and then it describes, uh, and remember, this was talking about believing and unbelieving of the Gentiles, two, two groups of Gentiles, but it covers us all. They're lifted up in the pride of their hearts. They're above the people of the whole earth. Oh, yeah, I think that, that could be us. Filled with lying, deceit, mischiefs, hypocrisy, murders, priestcrafts, whoredoms, secret abominations, all the above are happening right now in our society and even in the church, in, in, unfortunately. So verse 35 and 36, though, tells what the transition is. And if they shall do these things and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, again, we have to understand this Gentile reference is talking about us. Behold, saith the Father, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them, and then will I remember my covenant which I have made unto my people, O house of Israel, and I will bring my gospel back unto them. Now notice how many times the word I is used, and Jesus is the one speaking. I will bring the fullness from among the Gentiles. I will remember the covenant which I've made with my people, the house of Israel. I will bring my gospel unto them. And then verse 37, where it concludes, I will show unto you, O house of Israel, that the Gentiles won't have power over you. And that's... Let's put the accent on the other on the other words there, Corey. That because I know we've talked about this. I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. Yes, I will remember my covenant. I will bring my gospel unto them. The verbs. Yes. I will show unto thee, O house of Israel. But Jesus, and so that's what I mentioned earlier, and with with the events that have just transpired in the restoration in the past couple of years that. When God does move, when God moves in a mighty way amongst other people in whatever way he chooses, are we going to accept that? Or are we going to be very quick to say, nope, nope, that's not the plan. It's right. going to, it has to, you know, we have to be involved or it has to start with this man or this person or in this group or whatever. And that's very, uh, I don't want to say, it's just very concerning to me. And I feel like, um, it's something that I want to um, warn other people about or just encourage them to, 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 to hear this message. I want to encourage people to focus on this message and say, and this is where, you know, Corey, when we talk about being special, we, we say some harsh things and we always want to preface it. It doesn't mean everybody in our church feels this way and that it doesn't mean that great ministers through the years haven't seen this big picture and haven't spoken about it. It just means that I think at times the main message has not been this. No, It's been hijacked a little bit. It's been, it's, we've had our focus shifted a bit. And so that that's not every single person. That's not every group. It's just, 
as a whole, the church, as a whole. And when God is saying these things in the scriptures, it's as a whole, as a body. It doesn't mean every single Gentile, but as a as a group of people on the whole. And so this right here, though, when God moves, when he does his work, how are we going to respond? Are we just going to write it off and reject it because he's going to do it? Yeah, and, and ultimately it probably won't even matter what we think because what he does is what he's going to do. And where he says, like you said, I'm going to bring it, I'm going to show it, I'm going to demonstrate, um, he's going to do these things. And and that begins a time period where the scriptures call it the second time that God sets forth his hand. We were kind of mistold that that was really what happened when Joseph Smith received the plates. And that is the beginning of it, but it's not the, the not the mentioning of it in, in the power that Jesus mentions, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, one yeah. of, one of the things, one of the things on this that, that to point out something you were um, uh, explaining so well, this idea that again, when, when God does this, um, you know, he's, there's oral tradition that's going around even now that, well, somehow God's going to, or even God has to, or God is bound to kind of set everything straight among the Gentiles. I, I'm saying this as a warning. You use that word, and I appreciate that, that we have to warn ourselves of what's the oral tradition being told versus what the scriptures say, because this passage right here in Third Nephi chapter 7, verse 30 through 38, when I read this a few years ago, it's what turned my whole mm-hmm. thinking on to, wait, what else haven't we understood? Because I was never told this, and, and well, we've kind of danced around this topic before I want to be real specific. Uh, Go ye and teach, for instance, never taught me that the Gentiles would reject the gospel and that the gospel would be taken from them by Jesus, as it explains here, back to the house of Israel. And the the story I had, and it could have been my own misunderstanding in my life, was that, well, God set up the church and this just kind of coasts on through until Zion's here. Maybe it goes through rough waters. But, but we're even telling a story right now, well, God has to kind of set the church in order first, and then we have Zion. Well, it isn't explained like that by Jesus. It's it's what we want it to be, and in in the end, we may see that's achieved. But the process that it gets there by is different than what we're telling. Hey Corey, let me just read what I wrote in my margins right here because this was either a sermon or a Sunday school class by uh, one of our uh, one of our good ministers uh, where I go to church, and he said something very profound regarding this these three scriptures that we're reading about about Jesus. I will bring my gospel from them. He says this, and this is a great way to think about things. He says, "The focus of God's work shifts. It doesn't mean He quits loving the Gentiles. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. It's not, we're not going to stop the prophetic ship. It's sailing. It's going. We're not going to stop the prophetic ship. We're not going to replace it, but we can be numbered among or take part of the prophetic plan. Yes. So the plan is the plan. We can be a part of that or not. It doesn't mean God stops loving us. It doesn't mean that we become less than. It just says in like in verse 38, if the Gentiles will repent and return unto me, they shall be numbered among my people. Exactly. O house of Israel. Exactly. That's the thing is that we have to, it first starts with understanding. And I try to explain this in classes and it always catches most people by surprise because I'll, I'll ask people, well, who are we? Are we the Gentiles or Israel? No, we're Israel. And it's like, 
read what Nephi said. No, we're the Gentiles that he's referring to. And like you just said, you know, this whole promise of well, Zion. Yeah, because if we're not the Gentiles, then there's another group somewhere that brought forth a book that was going to go back to Right, the, the whole narrative of the Book of Mormon changes if we're not the Gentiles, because the, the Book of Mormon never says, oh, the Book of Mormon came back to a group of the remnant of Israel, and they take it to, to the, the remnant of Israel. Right. No, <laughs> yeah. it says the Gentiles. So that, by definition, has to be us if we believe that we received it. We being the collective restoration, you know, right. anyone who's kind of been of Joseph Smith's beliefs in all the churches that are broken off since then. So this is important to understand first is that when he's talking about the Gentiles, you know, he's talking about us. And so the point being the signpost was very clear. There would come a day when the Gentiles, a, they who received the gospel and maybe believed it for a time and also b they who are of the nations of Gentiles who just decided, Hey, this can't be true. God doesn't speak to, young boys in New York city in the 1800s, mm-hmm. you know, that's all of the above becomes the Gentiles. And eventually, but notice, notice one thing I, after verse 37, where it says that the Gentiles won't have power of you. You will come to the knowledge of the fullness of my gospel. He's referring to Israel, but he turns it back to the Gentiles in verse 38. And he says, but if the Gentiles repent and return unto me, right. saith the Father, they'll be numbered among my people of the house of Israel. And in 3 Nephi 10, 1, he even expands that and says, but I will establish my church among them. Doesn't That's say reorganize. Establish. Exactly. This is after the Gentiles already had the church. God's going to start afresh. We haven't told Nephi that story. 10. 10, verse 1. Yeah, if you want to read that. Yeah, I get it right here. Um the verse right before that says, I will execute vengeance and fury upon them, even as upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. That's, that's on the Gentiles as a, as a judgment on the Gentiles. Yeah. But if they will repent and hearken unto my words and harden not their hearts, I will establish my church among them, and they shall come in unto the covenant and be numbered among this, the remnant of Jacob, unto whom I have given this land for their inheritance. And they shall assist my people, the remnant of Jacob, and also as many of the house of Israel as shall come, that they shall build a city which shall be called the New Jerusalem. And then they shall assist my people that they may be gathered in, which are scattered upon all the face of the land into the New Jerusalem. And then, this is the great part, and then, Shall the powers of heaven come down among them? In oh, is there is this a beautiful scripture of hope? And I also will be in the midst. Exactly. But but look, and this is where I've always been off. And then, okay, I will come down. I'll be among them. And then, this is so funny. But we used to travel in the car, and we'd tell my son to make up a story, and he would make a story, and he'd always emphasize. And then, and he would come up with something else. And then. So right here we are, and then, and then shall, shall the, the work, work of the Father commence, commence at that day. Commence. Begin. That means to begin. Something even greater, right? That Christ comes down, he's with us, and then the work <laughs> of the Father commences. Right. That's preached wh- among the remnant of the people. Yes. So, and he, and he continues to use that word commence in, in the following five or six verses. It's then it'll commence among the remnant. Yeah. It'll commence among the dispersed. It'll commence among tribes the tribes. It'll commence among the Jews. It'll commence among all Dis- nations. Yeah. So a huge or even the majority of the work is going to happen after Christ returns and is among us. Yeah. And so this city that's built, you know, two things. One is that 
if if we didn't get this growing up, because I never heard it explained as the scriptures say here, the purpose of Zion was to be begin the great gathering, right? It wasn't just, I always heard, well, I got to make it to Jackson County and then the doors are closed and that's it. No, the whole point was not just to reward the church who found the Book of Mormon among the Gentiles, but that the Book of Mormon would become the standard that goes out from there to the world to teach people that Jesus was the eternal God. And this this whole work begins, Jesus calls it the second time at this point. This is when God is in charge. We don't have to worry about getting the word wrong or getting the orders wrong or executing them improperly because Jesus is managing the affair. That's where he says, I will be in the midst. So if we're looking at hope for this generation of our people, should we not be teaching that? You know what, guys? We need to repent we need to be prepared for Christ to return and to take charge. Yeah. What a message of hope. Yeah. And and in in the steps in between then, it's really clear that so what is going to happen next if we if we agree that maybe we're in this phase which is the end of the times of the Gentiles, the scriptures talk about the times of the Gentiles concluding. Again, the signpost is what? The Gentiles reject the gospel. If we're in that day right now. Well, yeah, and the the other signpost is <laughs> vengeance and fury. Yeah, we'll there's, be, there's judgment. There's judgment yeah. on the Gentiles. But then, so the end of Third Nephi 7 talks about how God's spirit is going to be poured out on this remnant of Joseph. So we call them the Lamanites or the descendants of Nephi. But notice what it says in verse, uh, this is back to chapter 7, verse 39. If the Gentiles repent, I won't suffer my people to go through among them, but my people, he's talking about our house of Israel, they're going to receive the word of God. They're, God's bringing it to them. They're going to have a direct, fresh revelation of him, directly from him. They're, they're not going to get our baggage. I, this is one of the mistakes our, our generation thinks is that we're going to, you know, I mean, I, I believe repentant Gentiles can be part of the process explaining, but they're going to get the story straight. They're not going to be confused by all the division that we've experienced and everything else as a church. They're going to find Jesus Christ directly through their own personal testimony, and their hearts will be changed. But notice, they will rise in spiritual power according to the prophecy. Third Nephi 7, verse 39, he said, I won't suffer my people who are of the house of Israel to go through among them and tread them down, saith the Father. But if they will not turn unto me and hearken unto my voice, I will suffer them. So he's he's saying, I'm going to allow my people of the house of Israel to be spiritually stronger than the Gentiles, I, which has like never happened before. I will suffer my people of the house of Israel that they shall go through among them and tread them down. They, the Gentiles, will be like salt that's lost its savor, thenceforth good for nothing to be cast out and trodden under the foot of my people. Yeah, and reading along with that, and a couple chapters later again, my people which are a remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles, yea, in the midst of them, as a lion among the beasts of the forest, as a young lion among flocks of sheep, who, if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and listen to this, and, and none, none can, can deliver. deliver. See, here's here's one of the things we have to we have to understand when we're reading scripture, I, I made this mistake, I think, my whole life until these scriptures kind of came to light. I used to think that every scripture that was describing good things, well, that had to be talking about me or us. You know, everything that was talking about bad things happened to have to be talking about someone else, you know. Mm-hmm. And and here, this very scripture you're pointing out, I always thought, well, we're going to be like the lions. We're the ones going through and treading down and tearing in pieces and none can deliver. Mm-hmm. 
But he's explaining, no, it's the house of Israel that receives this gospel mm-hmm. that was rejected by the Gentiles. They're the ones who become like the lion that goes through among the Gentiles. You wonder if that, I always thought like, yeah, we were the good ones and like some bad came in among us due, due to our sins. And But wonder if wonder if it's a righteousness that just treads down the wicked yes. of the Gentiles. But yeah. whatever it is, the Gentiles, it says, except they repent, I will cut off the horses out of the midst of thee. I will destroy thy chariots. I will cut off the cities of thy land, throw down thy strongholds, all of that stuff. Yeah. So we're looking at probably, you know, this nation being just brought to its knees and, 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 and even the nations of the Gentiles, of the Gentiles. right? You know, be, because uh, it, one of the things, and this is an interesting parallel, is that the same words that are used in describing that were really the same words that Moses kind of said, well, Joshua's going to do this when you guys, the Israelites, uh, go back out of the wilderness and go into the promised land. You see, the promised land was full of Gentiles, if you will, who were wicked, idolatrous, and and Moses' command in that day, was, and this is the end of Exodus going into the story of Joshua, was that, hey, if you, my people who have been with me now in the wilderness for 40 years, have been trying to teach you of my ways, if you go into this land and all the corrupt ways, beliefs of the Gentiles are there, you're going to be corrupted by those things, and you'll you'll fall away. And they eventually did that anyhow. But he said, no, we're going to start with a clean slate so that my people, when you're established, there's a clean slate. And in terms of the land, the culture, the economy, the spiritual beliefs, it was all what God wanted to put in place with the Israelites. So the command for for Joshua, and if it was a movie today, it would get worse than a PG-13 rating because it was very violent. But the land was cleansed, basically, for God's people to inhabit now, I, I'm, I'm not trying to suggest anything in any place. I don't have an understanding of what that could mean in the future other than what you just read out of the end of Third Nephi 9. There's a real clear description, and it doesn't mince any words, that a cleansing would take place for the same reason in a day to come so that a righteous city built, we believe, in this land— will be established in purity without the remnants of a culture of you know abortion and adultery and, and wickedness and fornication and all these other things aren't going to be able to seep in their you know notions and, and grow roots into the into the it's gonna it's gonna start clean and pure and in fact there's a reference later where it states that the that Israel shall it just says inherit the Gentiles. In other words, these desolate cities and things that it describes prophetically. I don't know what that necessarily means, but it says <clears throat> that Israel will inhabit these ones. These things that were left over by the Gentiles, corruption, get rebuilt by Israel. That and I'm not. I, I guess that just means the people who are wicked and hated God are going to find that whatever inheritance, land, cities, whatever. I, I don't want to be real specific because I don't know, but it just becomes taken over by the people who loved God and, and followed him and keep his commandments. That's, I think, where where the difference is, is that we, we see a great division between the righteous who follow God, who seek him, and those who fight against him in the end. Mm. I <clears throat> What we're seeing here, I think, throughout these scriptures and in, in this is where the story differs is, like, again, Zion is not at the end of the timeline. You know, it's not the the end all be all it is this place that is established and then Christ returns and then he's going to be here to, to help usher and to, well, to lead 
as a, a lot of other things transpire. And so to me, that brings hope to our people. And I'm always thinking of our younger generation to bring that, you know, guys, let's repent. Let's, let's make sure our hearts are for others, not self-centered. Let's make sure we are being transformed so that we can look forward to Christ returning and let's not focus on which group is right right now or which group has the priesthood authority to quote or which group is the church. But let's focus on repenting and being transformed and coming to Christ. Matter of fact, why don't we focus on the message of the Book of Mormon? Exactly. Knowing that Christ is the eternal God, that he came down here and dwelt among us. And I don't mean knowing that in your head, but when I believe when everybody has that knowledge in their heart, it's like Alma in the coma. It's like every great transformational story you read about in the scriptures. It's like all of a sudden that revelation just bursts forth in your whole body. And that's when you're partaking of the fruit. That's when there is no hungering or thirsting inside of you. You have been fulfilled from the measure of your creation. You have received what you were meant to receive from the time that God thought you up and created you. You have the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, that he came down here, that he is God that he has atoned for your sins and that you have this great eternity waiting. That's what we focus on knowing Christ is going to come and that if we are changed, we can be part of his great work. That's, that's the hope, but we don't have to worry about a group of people that can't get along and establish a righteous city because it's going to be established. And there's a lot of other helpers along the way. I mean, there's a lot of other groups involved in that and God's great plan be looking for that plan. Be ready to accept that plan when he moves. Don't yeah. don't cast it off by thinking, no, it has to come through independence and Zion like one of us has to do it. Right. And, and you know, what you touch on is so important, Mike, because unfortunately for so many in, in our day in, in the restoration, we can't see it any other way because we've always believed, well, the story is only about us. It starts with us. It ends with us. And, it's, and we're like the center of the universe. And it's like if we read what the Book of Mormon says— you know, there's a more powerful story and it's complete and it gives hope. The fact that one, it actually, <clears throat> the, the Book of Mormon explains what's going on in our day. So we don't have to wonder, gosh, did all this catch God by surprise? You know, the confusion and the, and the splitting and all this stuff. No, it was kind of forecast from the beginning, but that we realize, A, one thing that's important and, and not for salvation, but for the plan of the covenants being fulfilled is that God didn't forget the promise to the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that final prophecy explains some of those covenants. I, I won't go through it, but those covenants from the beginning are why we have why we have a promise of Zion in the end. You know, we we falsely um, came, I think, to the conclusion that well, Zion was about us because we were the church restored in the last days, so we could build Zion. It, it's not that. It's that. Zion is about fulfilling the covenants God made with the forefathers from the beginning that gathered both Jew and Gentile, you know, the whole world to him. That's what the covenant with Abraham meant. In fact, that's why Abraham had two sons. One was the leader of the Gentile nations, Ishmael. One was the leader of the Hebrew nations, Isaac. There's a reason he had Gentile and, and you know, Hebrew children because the promises were made to both. It represented everyone in the world that covenant isn't fulfilled until Zion is established and all nations flow into him. That's explained by ether, which maybe we'll get into later, but it's important. We see one, the lineage does not define if you can come to Christ and have salvation. Gentiles and Jews, whoever all have a promise 
in Christ, if our if our hearts change and we repent, we have equal claim on him for blessings. But the lineage does come into play when we look at how the covenants are fulfilled. And that's the difference is that these um, the city to be built on this land is built not because the church was restored to the Gentiles, uh, and this might be news to some people, but it's because of exactly what Jesus explains in the third book of Nephi. He said, it's because I remember the covenants that I made with Abraham and you, O house of Joseph, I've given you this land for your inheritance. The Gentiles are kind of occupiers of it right now. If the Gentiles repent, as you pointed out, Mike, we are numbered among Mm. them because Mm. this was their promise. Eye-opener. Like, there were people here before Christopher Columbus. There were people on this land way, way before uh, us. That's just, you, you said that, and I know all that, Corey, but it was just one of those moments I just had, like, yeah, we're occupying a land that was occupied before us. Exactly. And, 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 you know, Nephi sees this. He talks about it. Uh, You know, I just throw out a bunch of scriptures just by chapter and verse. 1 Nephi 3, verse 202, the Gentiles will be numbered among the house of Israel. Um, uh, You know, 2 Nephi 7, 29 and 30, Lehi's talking about the Gentiles will be blessed and be numbered among the house of Israel on this land. Um, the the scriptures continue. Jesus talks about it in, in Third Nephi three, and and Moroni writes about this. Mormon writes about it. They're all they're all realizing that the Gentiles were part of the process to bring the gospel back to Israel. Did we do that successfully? And that's the question because that was the real mission of the church. This is the other thing I think we've confused because we've heard of Zion. We've told the story that our job was to build Zion doesn't actually ever say that, at least in the Book of Mormon. It says the Gentiles would bring the gospel back to Israel, and when Israel receives the gospel, then Zion begins, right? That's that's the difference. That's the difference. You know, the, Corey, there's two storylines that, that go. There's the personal storyline of I have to be transformed into the image of Christ. And that's the purpose of the gospel. That's the number one story, to love as you are loved. That's the number one story for every creature God ever breathed into existence, to learn how to love like him so they can be with him in his kingdom, so we can be like him, so we're, will- so we're willing to be like him. That's the number one story. The second story is, like we talked about, this prophetic ship, that since the time that Adam and Eve were in the garden, this prophetic ship sailed and along the way, Christ and God, they, they spoke certain things and they said they would happen. And there was these groups of people and there was righteous men that responded, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And so this parallel storyline is all mankind is trying to be changed in their heart and to become able to love like God. Next to it is this prophetic storyline that God says certain events are going to happen along the way that is going to bring about this business of every man being transformed and loving like God loves and that doesn't mean along the way that at any point in time, God loves Jews more than Gentiles or God loves Gentiles more than Jews. It's just that people respond. God had to find a way to bring his message of love to people. He came down and had to show, he had to show that he loved us through dying. He says, a matter of fact, if you think he loves the Jews more than the Gentiles, he says they were the only people evil enough to kill their own God. Right. So they were wicked. They were, uh, anyway... 
So we have this, this prophetic ship that's just sailing from the beginning of time until all things are fulfilled, and it's going to sh- sail the course that God has set. Along the way, people look at this prophetic ship, and as they look at the words and the teachings and the gospel, they are transformed inside. But that doesn't change the course of the ship. But we have to remember that even God's work of establishing Zion and everything is all because each individual person God loves and wants to have them in his kingdom. Yes. He, he needs us to be transformed. So yes. the only purpose of understanding the prophetic ship and the course that it's sailing, the only purpose of understanding these words and these scriptures is to bring about that change. Amen. And so if there's a dis, if there's a disconnect between me trying to study the scriptures and be like, okay, now, now when does the Gentiles fulfill their time? And when does the house of Israel come in? And what's our work as a church? If there's a disconnect between all of that and have I woken up this morning and am I able to love my brother and sister in greater capacity than I did a week ago? And if the answer is no, then I'm not getting the connection between the prophecy and the prophetic timeline and God's work in my heart. And so we can never let one trump the other. We have to allow this scripture and prophecy to have place, you know, so, but it's important that as we see God's plan and as we see it fulfilled, we recognize God is faithful we can trust his word, and that means I can also trust the fact that he can change my heart and he's mighty to save. You know, Mike, that's so beautiful. There's, It's interesting because, again, sometimes we get a story of Scripture and we hear a personal testimony, and then we don't know which one is which. Uh, for years there was this testimony of a, a ring of fire around Zion, and, and there was a man, I won't even mention his name, I didn't know him personally, um, he didn't live that long ago where he he had a dream or vision. Then he shares where he saw this ring of fire around Zion. And so Zion, it being established in, you know, America. And, and so everyone sort of believed, well, to go into Zion, you got to get through this ring of fire. And it's this thing that purifies you. And you're, you're not going to be able to be in Zion unless you're holy and perfect. So we kind of, in, in our own way of doing it within the restoration, which we're really good at, kind of pointed the finger at each other. So you get your house in order or you're not going to be able to be in Zion because there's going to be a ring of fire around it. Well, what's interesting is that the ring of fire is actually mentioned in Scripture. It's, it's prophetically mentioned, and I won't go into the Scriptures right now. But you know what Jesus explains? He says, I am the ring of fire. In other words, if there's a ring of fire around Zion, it's that you only come to Jesus if you're broken and contrite and your heart is changed. And the point is, those people who are part of God's kingdom are the ones who have come to Jesus and 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 their hearts have been transformed. And then they participate in the work. That's that's the part of the story we never told. We always kind of act like, well, it's it's me and my work that I've done. You know, I joined the church, so I'm going to be in this, and you aren't because you didn't join. No, it, it all comes down to the fact that Jesus is the one who changes us all, and, and all of this kingdom's purpose is to be so that every human who ever desired could come to God and have the sin removed and have, have the evilness of our soul removed so we could be made pure in him, in this life, and in the life to come, and enjoy that in the life to come. And and he's the one who does that. And he's not holding anyone back. This ring of fire was not something that was, as we told, hey, this is going to keep you out, or this is going to keep Corey out, because I, I didn't make it. I didn't cut the mark, you know, may, measure up. No, it's that you come to Jesus, and you're going to be purified by him, and he's going to remove the sin. So you oh, yeah, can be that's, with him. That's not a fun 
process. We've seen groups of people suffer that. We've seen his prophetic plan for the Israel and Jews have suffered greatly. But on a personal level, when you're being purified, that is not a fun. We've looked at all kinds of examples of that. That's not a fun situation to be in, but it's necessary for says God chastens those he loves. Yeah. All yeah. God's kids are getting it. That's what mm-hmm. my, my good preaching buddy used to say. All God's kids are getting it. <laughs> he chastens everyone he loves. So, yeah, that ring of fire is a, when we say we have to have a changed heart, that doesn't mean we change ourselves. It means we order our life in the way that we are connected to Jesus and earnestly begging him mm-hmm. to change us, supplicating, yeah. please, Father, change this, root this evil spirit out of me, make me new, recreate me. And that doesn't come easy. That takes everything you have, mm-hmm. ordering your whole life for that one purpose to right. allow him to change you. So, And that's what he wants to do with us. You know, it might be good if we move in the next time we get together or in the f- future anyhow to uh, the, this parable, the olive tree. It's a story in Jacob. Ooh, and, yeah. and it, it explains uh, in, in a cool story about what's going to happen. Okay. Well, we didn't really get to the... I know we've looked at some things that are going on in Israel right now, and we'll get to we'll that. We'll get to it. But we'll get to it. I like where I like where today's episode went. So I know some things are repeating, but um, it's also being told in a new way. And I don't think we can hear this message enough. I hope we found a little hope today, seeing just a little bigger picture. So until next time, remember we are just walking each other home. God bless. <laughs>